we pick up on there's 20 people cheering when I kick the ball, but they don't cheer if I don't kick the ball. This is where it's formed. And then fast forward 35 years, it's the same thing of going, if I don't make a sale, I'm not loved. If I make a sale, I'm loved. If I score a touchdown, I'm loved. If I don't, I'm, it's, the, it's the same thing. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. What a crazy week it's been. I feel like there was such a drastic change from the beginning of the week when I felt like coronavirus was kind of a casual thing that I was semi-interested in but didn't really feel like it would ever affect my life to now when it's literally infiltrating every part of my life. I'm sure many of you feel the same. I think it got really real for me on Wednesday or Thursday when the NBA made the huge decision to suspend their season for 30 days. They didn't even do it for one week. They went all in and suspended it for 30 days at least, and then many other major sporting leagues followed suit. That includes the MLS, so Eric's season has been suspended, which is a completely unprecedented thing in the history of the league, and it's been super interesting seeing how the team and the players are trying to start to navigate that. And obviously, it's going to be an ongoing process over the next month. I have so much respect for these organizations for shutting down, because if you think about the kind of decision that is, the amount of money that's going to be lost over this amount of time, it's massive. But they're deciding to put their social responsibility first and foremost and do the right thing and suspend their seasons. So I'm very impressed by these leagues that are doing that. It's really crazy though, everyone's travel is being affected, workplaces are being shut down. Most people that I've talked to are working from home at least for the next week. We'll see how long that lasts. Gyms are starting to make adjustments to their schedules, so everything's kind of up in the air right now. It's a very unsettling time. I hope that everyone is really making it a priority to stay calm during this time. Stay calm but stay safe. So take the precautions that you need, but try to reduce your stress. Stress is the thing that is going to compromise your immune system the most right now. So if you're anxious, if you're worried about potentially contracting the virus, stress reduction, stress management is your best friend. Personally, I'm taking this time to turn inward. I'm taking the time to slow down because that's not something that I do naturally really in my life. I've always been a very go, go, go person, but this is sort of a natural break. It's a natural time to hibernate a little bit, to reduce the amount of things that I have going on in my life. So I hope that you see this time as a little bit of a blessing in disguise as well and really take the time to slow down for yourself. One thing that I'll say is that it's so important that you consume information with caution. There are a lot of rumors out there right now. Everyone is trying to form their own opinion based on half stories and bits of information, and it's all very confusing, and we're really just trying to do our best. But 
We have to be careful about what we decide to believe and who we're listening to. The way that panic works is you might feel really calm about this whole situation until you see someone else buying out three weeks of toilet paper from the store and stocking up on non-perishable items and freaking out about leaving their house at all. And then all of a sudden you think, oh shoot, I need to take care of myself too and protect myself. So then you start to feel the same way. And then everyone that sees you and their life, they start to say, oh shit, I guess I need to stock up on toilet paper too. And before you know it, we're all stocking up on toilet paper when we don't really actually know why we're doing it. We've just seen everyone else doing it. So I think we all just need to be really conscious about feeding into the panic and yes, taking precautionary measures, but not doing things that are unnecessary that add to the tension that we're all feeling during this time. One thing that I definitely believe is that social distancing right now is your social responsibility. I think it's very easy as a young person who might get the virus and it's not really going to be that serious, you're not going to feel the symptoms that much, likely, to not be worried because you're not really worried for yourself. But that's not the point. The point is that this virus is very dangerous for compromised populations. For the elderly, think about your grandparents. For people whose immune systems are compromised in some way, this can be a very deadly virus. The only way that we're going to be able to control the spread of this is if we all partake in social distancing. It's not just the people that are around the elderly, like maybe you're sitting there saying, well, my grandparents live in another state and I don't have anyone in my life that I should be worried about. That's not the point. The point is that it's your social responsibility to distance yourself so that we stop the spread of this virus. Disclaimer, I'm obviously not an expert on these things. This is just my opinion based on the information that I have, so take it with a grain of salt, please. The biggest thing that I'll say is just keep stress down, take this as a time to relax, to spend time with your family, quality time, and maybe get to some of those things that have been on the bottom of your to-do list amidst a hectic daily schedule. Maybe you can start to get to some of those things. Okay, I think that that's enough coronavirus talk. So let's talk about the podcast episode that I have for you guys today. I'm super excited to share this one with you. Today, I'm speaking with Vince Luciani of The Legacy Coaching. Vince's mission is to spread the message that your life and legacy are not defined by what you do. They are defined by you. He guides people to give the love and validation they seek from others directly towards themselves. Vince was a lifetime athlete, former CFL and NCAA football coach. He has completed his master's in coaching education at Ohio University and is a certified holistic life coach. He was named Life Coach of the Year by Notable Life in 2018. His work has impacted over 27,000 people of all ages, including professional athletes from the NFL, CFL, NHL, NBA, and Olympic athletes. He believes that self-awareness is the foundation to fulfillment within and without sport. He has molded all of his life experiences and learnings to create the legacy coaching curriculum. Vince's workshops take people through a -a one-of-a-kind mindful mental training that allows them to discover who they are beyond what they do. 
Vince was so fun to have the chance to speak with, and he shared so many tidbits of wisdom and advice that I know I've been thinking about all week since our chat. So I hope that it has a similar impact on you guys. So please enjoy this episode with Vince Luciani. Hi, Vince. Welcome to How Do You Feel? I'm so excited to have you on the podcast to talk to you today. Me too. How do you feel? <laughs> oh, wow. You've hijacked the first question already. I'm feeling great. It is sunny and warm in Toronto today, so I'm buzzing. How about you? How do you feel? You know, you know, like the hybrid feelings where it's like, I'm excited, but also like kind of torn, you know, kind of like in between. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm floating today. It's like grounded, but also up in the air. Interesting. Can I ask why you're feeling that mixed emotions today? Yeah. First of all, I love that we're even getting into this right now because this is awesome. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of great things happening in my life right now and that are about to happen. But there's also this like thing that's really testing my fears with it where it's like, is it going to happen? I'm not so sure. Like, there, you know, all those like those voices. But then there's a part of me where it's like, no, it's happening. So it's kind of like the relationship between those two things. Yeah, they're just kind of butting heads internally right now. Mm-hmm. A little bit of excitement, but then a little bit of fear mixed in. Okay, well, let's get started. I want to know in general why you're so passionate about the way that athletes think about their identity and how they identify themselves. Where did that passion come from? So the passion came from my own identity crisis. That's the, the best way to simplify it. I was always an athlete growing up, and then I shifted into being a football coach. And then I had coached in the CFL in the NCAA for two years. So I'd really put on this like persona of like, I'm a football coach. I remember I would come home to Oakville where I was living and I would be the American football coach. But when I went down to Ohio, I would be the Canadian. Like I didn't realize this until later, but it's because that's what gave me the most love and attention from other people is I was just kind of morphing myself into what would make others love me more or what I believed would make other, others love me more. And it got to a point where I was having some struggles when I was coaching down in Ohio. I actually had a bad knee injury. I ruptured my patella tendon in my left knee. So I had to have emergency surgery and I had to come home to recover. And in coming home to recover, I lost my job as the coach. I was living with my family when I came home. They were like, you got to get a job. You got to get something. So I limped my way into a Nike outlet and they weren't hiring. So I went to naturally, my second choice was Lululemon. And I walk in, I remember I had my resume and this girl was like, you want to work here? And I was like, (laughs) yeah, like I I love this place. But then about three days into working there, my manager was like, let's go talk about our goals. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that is, but I'm down. And the first question she asked me, she sits me down and she goes, Vince, who are you? I was like, oh, I'm a football coach. She's like, no, that's just what you are. Who are you? And honestly, I just broke down in tears in the middle of this coffee shop because I realized my entire life, I let the identity of who I was on the outside define who I was on the inside. And not only that, no one had ever stopped to ask me that question and not to ask me, you know, when someone asks you a question and then they like tell you the answer, it's like, no, 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 you're not a football coach. You're this. No one has ever given me that space. And so I went through this, this shift and and I kind of got into that, the mode of self-discovery. And every time I learned a lesson, it was almost with resentment. It was like, how come I never learned this as an athlete? How come I never learned this as a coach? How come I never learned this as a kid? 
What kind of lessons were you learning at that point that you wish that you had learned? What were some of those things? So it was all about self-definition. So the idea of I define my own happiness. I define my own success. I define my purpose. I define all these things for myself because I was always, you know, speakers would come into school and be like, this is success. This is how to get there. Now go for it. And it's like, who's that helping? You know, like, so for me, I always compared what I was doing to everyone else, but I never was given the space to go, but who am I in here? What do I feel in here? Once I started to feel how much empowerment that gave me from the inside out of like, wait, when I define this, I'm directly detaching from everybody else's definition of this thing just by exploring it for myself. So that's where I started to get really excited. I was like, I want to help people with this because this is, I don't have the answers, but I do have questions to help them find it within themselves. And so I started testing it out on kids, pro athletes. It was a really interesting mix. Um, and then it just kind of fused into this thing where I would keep, I would work with kids in groups. I would work with uh, athletes one-on-one and then it became a mix of everything, speaking, workshops, all that stuff. But I don't even know if I answered the question of why I'm passionate about it, but it's, that's where it's rooted. Um, and it goes so much deeper. Like, you know, there's a lot of identities, like we all carry these identities that we've formed just because it gives us more love and validation from others. And it doesn't mean that we're not those things anymore. It doesn't mean like once we're aware of it, it's like, oh, I'm not an athlete anymore. It's just the idea of understanding or asking yourself, am I giving myself the same love and validation before I rely on my identity for that from others? Cool. That's a really good way to put it because I think that people do, well, they have to be careful not to attach their entire self-worth to those identities. But I think that people do get something good out of them still as long as they understand that that is not what makes them a valid and worthy person. Like, I think that that was a a really interesting distinction that you made there. How did you use to characterize your own sense of self and identity before, let's say like before the Lulu stuff, like what was your identity as Vince? Yeah, I would say the football player, the Joker, this was a big one. Like ever since I was a kid, there was a moment when I was young where I was sent to a camp and it was a camp where everybody knew each other, but I didn't know anyone. Mm. And I was really uncomfortable. And I realized in that moment how hard it was to be, you know, disconnected or isolated. And there was other stuff that happened that I'm choosing not to share, but basically I convinced myself I had to learn how to get everybody's approval and validation to feel connected, to feel part of something. So I remember that year I had a camp counselor who was really into puns. He literally spoke only in puns and I picked up on this and I realized how much validation he was getting and like how much laughter and all this stuff. And so it's something I picked up on and I started to become the pun guy. And then I started to become like the joker in class and all this stuff. And again, it doesn't mean that I'm not funny, but I, I hid behind that label and I hid behind that identity because I was afraid that I wouldn't be loved for who I actually am underneath it all. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that we feel safest when we tie our sense of self to these labels and these identities that are outside of us? What are we afraid of? Because it's known, right? Like for me, I know that if I joke and people are laughing, they're comfortable. If they're comfortable, I'm comfortable. It's uncomfortable and it's unknown for me to go into a room, share a very vulnerable story that I don't know if it's going to connect with somebody, but I'm expressing my truth 
that's incredibly uncomfortable and I don't know how they're going to react. That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of fear in that. And so one is, it's like, I know that I'm going to get love from this. And the other is, I have no idea what I'm going to get from this. I think that's why we do it. And I think what was really important when if people are listening to this, that when they think like, geez, well, I've always defined myself as the, the business executive or the manager or, or you know, the, the trainer or whatever, you're not wrong. Like you're not wrong for identifying with those things. It's, it's kind of like uprooting a tree to understand that there are roots that have always been inside of you that have allowed you to be those things. Hmm. So the first thing is, if you realize you've been relying on your identity, first, don't beat yourself up. We, we all do it. We've all done it. But number two is to go, okay, well, what am I without all of my titles? What am, what am I without my family? What am I without my partner, my friends, my, my work? And that's where you could start to see the roots that have always existed inside of you. Because that's the thing is like the, the journey of self-love. It's so interesting. When we learn the things that are keeping us from loving ourselves, we start to judge ourselves again. It's like, <laughs> how, how dare I rely on football for this? Like you're such an idiot, Vince. So it just keeps that cycle. That's, that's why I always say like be easy on yourself when you become aware of these things because that's what starts that cycle of, of self-love. Mm-hmm. How do you characterize your own sense of self and identity now? that you've done all of, a lot of this work and you have been diving into who you really are beneath the surface, not your core. Yeah. I think the first thing to note is that it doesn't stop. Like there's always new, you know, places where I'm realizing that I put on this thing just mm-hmm. so that other people accept me or that other people um, understand me. And so it's constant work for me underneath it all. I do believe that I am love and that's for me is my core identity. And so it's like, when I am loving who I am, loving the things around me, loving the people around me, I am my, at my best. It's not like I'm going up to people now going like, nice to meet you. My name is Vince and I am love. You know, it's, <laughs> I have it's the idea of, for you. <laughs> right, exactly. But it, it's the idea of like when you do shake someone's hand and you say, I'm the athlete or I'm the strength coach or I'm the personal trainer or whatever, you know that that's just the tree. And as long as you have the understanding of the roots, that's, that's the important thing. The tree is what people see. They don't always see the roots and they don't need to see the roots. You know that they're there and you know what allows you to be that thing. Mm, I see. What was it that helped you arrive at this concept of I am love? Like, how did you arrive with that conclusion? It was my journey of realizing that everything I've been chasing from others already exists inside of me. And my, my big thing is I love to go to the end, like with logic, I love to go to the end of things. and I love to go to the beginning of things. And what I've learned is at the end of it, it's always love. And at the beginning, it's always love. For me, this is my, this is my belief. And so when I took myself on that journey of like, you know, of self-discovery and it, it's still, again, I'm still working on this stuff. I need to make that very clear. Like nobody masters this stuff. It's constant work. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of taking yourself to the end and realizing like, geez, I'm trying to prove my worth to somebody so that I feel loved. But what if I take away this vehicle? What am I? And for me, it was realizing that I convinced myself that I was nothing without those things. I was nothing without football. I was nothing without a girlfriend. I was nothing without my work. And once I surrendered to that, that's when I started to see completion within myself rather than seeking it from outside sources. How does the way that you navigate the world and your relationships with people in your life different now that you have this sense of 
who you are at your core. Again, going back to I am human, so I do I do mess up. But I believe self-awareness, it increases resilience. It increases that, that bounce back. When I do start judging myself, when I become aware of it, I'm able to come back to, okay, who do I want to be in this moment? How do I want to treat myself in this moment? Before, I would just get caught up in these loops that lasted months and years of just like beating myself up and depression and, and I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. And it just kept going, it kept going to a point where it, I didn't know what to do. I, I'd just be lost. And now... I definitely still feel those things. I still, I still feel grief. I still go through some waves of depression. But it's okay. I trust that there's light on the other side. Because I've really practiced that self-love and self-belief, it's the idea of like trusting that there's something on the other end of it. And for me as a coach, what's on the other end of it is when I'm willing to go through the darkness, go through the flames of all the stuff I was, I was once avoiding, on the other end of it, I now have more to share with others. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I am able to relate to more people because I've gone through my version of maybe what they're going through or what they're about to go through. You know, it's, it's not all about others. Like for me, it's about thinking about myself first so that I can be of service to others. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that's not selfish because as you're saying, like you feel things and when you are good with yourself. It makes the way that you're able to relate to and explain and coach other people so much greater and so much deeper. And you can get into the nuances of, hey, I've been there and I've experienced it and I know what it feels like to be so low. So I think that's such a good point. Like people sometimes see this concept of self-love as a little bit selfish and like self-indulgent when in reality, it's like, well, it's hard work, but also it's what allows you to show up for other people in your life and what allows you to, I'm sure in your case, like be such a good coach to others because you start from this place of self-love. I want to understand a little bit more about what it is that you do with the legacy coaching. First of all, can you just tell us a little bit about what services you provide? You just mentioned that you used to do one-on-one coaching, you do workshops, you work with young athletes, but I would love to just kind of get a sense of what it is that the legacy coaching is all about. For sure. They're tools for self-awareness. And when I say tools, I don't teach people what to do. I guide them through a process so that they learn it for themselves. And so I have an entire curriculum that I've created where I get people to define their own answers to life's big questions. Hmm. Because my whole belief is that you don't need to go to fly to Thailand to find yourself. Who you are has always been inside of you. It's just a matter of discovering it and defining it. So I've created these exercises where it's a formula of different questions and it takes them on this little journey. And at the end, they clearly define their answer to that question. You know, when you think of mindfulness, it's I believe in detachment through definition. Once you define it for yourself, you're directly detaching from needing to find that answer elsewhere. Mm. That process is so important because I learned so much about people and they learn so much about themselves in that journey. So when I go do a workshop or a one-on-one session, I give them a blank piece of paper with a border on it. And people are always like, why won't you just give us like a notebook with a bunch of information in it? Because I believe like who you are within, that, within those four borders is who you are everywhere in life. And it's going to show up and manifest itself throughout this exercise. And it's so interesting because at the end of a session, everyone comes up with an answer. 
one person's doodling all over the borders. Another person's broken up their thing into sections. One girl's got her highlighters and she's got, she's got like, you know, smiley faces <laughs> yeah. and all these things. Yeah. And it's beautiful because, you know, for me growing up, I never had that. I always had, this is the answer you're trying to get to. What are you going to do to make it happen? It was just very, this is my answer and it's going to be yours too. I don't subscribe to that. Like, I believe there's so much power in giving someone the space to find those things for themselves. Because if I give you the answer, I've robbed you of the journey. And I believe there's a difference, there's a difference between like knowledge and wisdom in terms of, you know, I can give you knowledge of like how to make a better podcast that's gonna find more. Like, and I can't give you that. I'm just giving you an example. But <laughs> but that that inner wisdom, like the love, the the answers, the truth, like that's for you to find. I do believe we can accelerate that process. Mm-hmm. And so it's a matter of dis- discovering it, defining it. And then operating from that place of completion rather than incompletion. And the reason why I find this so powerful is like, I've done this work. Like I tested it out on everybody, like kids as young as seven. I do the exact same exercise with a seven-year-old that I do with an Olympian, NFL athlete, NBA athlete. Like it's the exact same. Those are the same exercises I take someone who's 75 through. And the thing that's crazy is the kids have the answers. They're actually way quicker to find it because they're so much closer to the the beginning like of love. That's what I was talking about earlier. And it's that much harder for people as, as they go on through life because they put all these walls and barriers over themselves and these caps to protect them from the truth. And so like, for instance, my most popular modules are who are you and what is your purpose? I like to do them separately so we can you know have discussions about them, but they're just simple questions. And at the end, people are like, oh my gosh, that, yeah, that's me. Yeah, Vince, yeah, that's it that's my purpose. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, because you did it. I'm not sitting here going like, <laughs> this is your purpose. This is how you do it. But the reason why I share that is because I've had some really emotional moments with older people who have not sat down their entire life to even think about what their answers are. And they've been living life for others, being selfless their entire life. And I'm not saying selfless is a bad thing. But <laughs> what is important to understand is when you're selfless without a foundation of complete self, you're giving away something that isn't even there. And it, it, it leads you mm-hmm. to be empty. And you hear it all the time, like don't pour from an empty cup. It's legit. And the idea is like be selfless, but before that, be self-loving, be self-fulfilling. And what I believe my exercises are, are tools to do that, to look inwards, to find completion within yourself so that you can walk out giving as much as you possibly can. Cool. For someone that walks in to do an exercise with you, let's say the what is your purpose sort of modular exercise, and they, they start off that session where they, have, they can't give you any answers. How do you peel back those layers? Like what kinds of questions are you asking them and what are you guiding them through to help them get to that point? First of all, it's the belief that everyone has the answers. So that's the first one. Because if I start to get into, oh no, they don't have the answers, I've, I've lost. But it's about yeah. building a bridge of relatable materials so that they will cross it. So what I mean by that is if it's a, a nine-year-old and they're like, nothing, like I'm nothing, like I'm this. And I'm like, oh, do you like video games? They're like, yeah, I love Fortnite. Great. Who are you in Fortnite? I'm like, oh, well, I'm really like, I'm a team player. I'm this. I'm so they start to open up when you are relatable to them. And this is from a genuine place. This isn't me going like, I'm just going to tell them all these things that they love and act like I love them. If I don't love them, I don't love them. It's their, it's their thing. But for instance, like I had a girl in high school, she was about not 
grade nine, so like 14. And before I walk in the, in the class, the teacher goes, you're not going to get through to her and you're not going to get through to her. And that's my test of going like, <laughs> I can't wait to get through to them, you know? So right away, again, a blank piece of paper and I go, who are you? And these girls are just doodling, right? And they think that they're being um, rebellious. I'm walking around and they're trying to cover up their paper. I'm like, no, like show me, like, I want to see what you, what you doodled. And this one girl had this beautiful flower, like climbing up the side of her paper. It was really like deep. There was a lot of like layers to it. The other girl was drawing like little cartoon characters. Like it was, it was hilarious. They're like, I'm sorry that we're not doing this. And I'm like, no, it's okay. But tell me what this means to you. If you were to watch yourself do this, how would you describe you doing it? And the one girl's like, I don't know, I guess I'm creative. And so she started with creative. Great. Now, what other words would you use to describe what you're doing? And the other girl was like, well, I do this to distract myself. Great. Is that like self-care? Is that, you know, I can't remember what the words I use, but I threw out some other mm -hmm. words. And then they were like, yeah, yeah. And this and this. So by the end of it, they had this list of uh, words. And I shared some, some vulnerable things. I could tell that the girl, I think, lost somebody because once I shared something about losing my father, she kind of perked up and was like, kind of like me too. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end, when I asked people to share, she was the first one to stand up and share what she learned. And the teacher looked at me and was like, oh my gosh. But what I realized is like in school, it was the same thing. It's like, if you're not doing what everyone else is doing, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And what I want to teach kids is your way is the way. Like as long as you're trying to get to the same, a similar destination in terms of the completion of the exercise, do it in your own way. You've got your own path. Look at life. We're all going to die. We're all going to die in this lifetime. But how we get there is so different. It's so different. And if we stop to realize like, are we comparing our lives to others? Are we comparing our path to others? It's just slowing us down. But the more we go into like who we truly are, and like what we want to say, what we want to do, it just breaks open that true core identity. And I have no idea what question you asked me and I just keep talking. But <laughs> I don't even me. remember either. It's yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I'm totally going down the wormhole okay. with you. Me too. No, yeah. that's, that's amazing. And I think that what that saves us from is the potential of going through the motions of life and following the prescribed plan, but not feeling our way through any of it and not actually being connected to any of it. But it's only when you go inward and go on your own journey in life that it doesn't feel like work to get to the next step, right? It just, it just comes and it just happens. And that's, that's so beautiful and such a cool thing to be able to share with people that are young. Because the next thing I do wanna ask you about is what you think it is about the way that we grow up that reinforces this idea that we need to rely on what we do and what we achieve and these identities that we have of ourselves that tell us who we are. Like there's something about the way that we grow up that teaches us that that's the way to think about ourselves. What do you think that is? My perspective on this is that we form ourselves around our greatest, greatest sources of love and validation. And as a kid, it's usually our parents, you know, as an athlete, it could be coaches, anything like that. But there's a story that I tell to share what I mean about this. Uh, I was coaching my four-year-old cousin's soccer team and it was their first ever game. Like some of these kids, they've never played sports before. So I show up and I'm like so excited because I, I got my master's in coaching and I love youth sport. I just love it. I just get excited. Hmm. But I show up and these kids are like, they're putting on their jerseys backwards 
they're bumping into each other during the warmups. Like, it's just like so innocent. And, you know, the parents come in, they've got their fold up chairs, they're sitting there with their coffee, you know, having those conversations on the sideline. And then the game starts and I've got, I've got a kid who's stopping in the middle of the game to pick daisies, like dandelions out of the field. Okay. And I'm not even stopping him. I'm like, if this is what you want to do, do it. I had another kid stop just to hug his opponent, which was amazing. So sweet. And then the, <laughs> the best part, exactly. And then the best part, we kick the ball uh, on a breakaway and it, it goes about seven yards to the right of the net. So we completely miss. But the goalie on the other team picked up the little pitch tent net and shifted it over just so that we would score. Oh my gosh. So it, was, it was amazing. And so what I observed in that moment was there's love for the moment, picking the dandelions, love for the opponent, hugging the, the enemy, quote unquote enemy, and then love for the game, you know, moving the net to, to score. And so I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful, you know? And then all of a sudden, about 10 minutes later, everything shifts, everything. The same kids that were enjoying themselves are starting to cry. They're getting really upset. They're coming off to the sideline. I'm like, this is weird. Like, why are they doing that? And I started to pick up on it that parents were only cheering when they would either kick the ball or score. So the intention of the game completely shifted for playing for the love of the game to playing for the love of everyone watching. So all these kids now go, I am only loved when I touch the ball or score. Mm-hmm. And the opposite of that, I am not loved if I don't t- kick the ball or score. And for me, I realized, I'm like, this is where the athlete identity starts. This is where any identity starts. When we as children, we're so innocent, we come from an unconditional loving place. We pick up on, there's 20 people cheering when I kick the ball, but they don't cheer if I don't kick the ball. This is where it's formed. And then fast forward 35 years, it's the same thing of going, if I don't make a sale, I'm not loved. If I make a sale, I'm loved. If I score a touchdown, I'm loved. If I don't, I'm, it's, the, it's the same thing. And this is no fault to our parents. This is no fault to, to us. This is no fault to anybody. It's about bringing awareness on those things that formed us and those moments that formed us. And the second we have awareness on those moments, we have control moving forward as to where the love comes from. My goal as a coach and, and as a facilitator is to make sure that the love comes from the inside out, not the outside in. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've, I've worked with a lot of professional athletes and I, I continue to do so. And that's a common thing. It's like there's a moment, you know, as a kid where like they prove their worth through this vehicle of sport. And then they further solidify this thing because that's where their worth exists. If you believe you're nothing without your sport, I also believe you're nothing with it. Because are you coming from a fulfilled place? Or are you coming from a, an empty place? And, and you won't again, have it your very- sport your whole life. I mean, that's the other thing in this, okay. right? Is these, my husband is a professional soccer player. So I speak about this definitely from experience and watching it be so big a part of his life since he can remember. But it's not going to last forever, right? And we're coming up to the point where he has to start to think about what does life look like after he's done playing and whether he stays close to the game like you did after you're done playing as a coach or commentating or, you know, something, whether he stays close to the sport or not, the way that his life looks and the way that he's 
found a lot of validation from people around him for his whole life is going to change so dramatically. So it's interesting to think about how these concepts that you speak about apply to everyone. Yes. And it's, it's fun to think about how we all do this, but it is, it's a unique case for athletes who literally get cheers and applause at things that they do well. And there's this whole other thing with social media now where they can they can see all the comments of positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, depending on how they've done. But it's such an intense thing. And it is just so important because I know that I know that players struggle with this so much when they're done with what do you do? Who are you? So I just I really think that what you're speaking about is so important because it doesn't last forever. Whatever you're doing may not last forever, but especially within sport. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, let's talk a little bit about your life personally. I want to know what habits in your life you think benefit you the most. So the two that really stand out, aside from like nutrition and all that stuff, stillness and movement. Stillness in the sense of, you know, it doesn't have to be like a meditation, but it's like remove my cell phone, remove Instagram, remove music, remove all that stuff and just sit with myself. Mm-hmm. When I take time to do that, my day is 1,000 times better than it usually is. And that's a big one because it goes back to my work where it's like, I believe our relationship with stillness is a direct reflection of our relationship with ourselves. Because when I'm completely still and I'm not touching anything, I'm not talking to anyone, I'm with Vince. I'm with nobody else. And we're so good at distracting ourselves. Like We are amazing at that, right? We do it at every second of the day if we can. Yeah, that's a great point. And just one more point on that is I believe that discomfort that we're refusing to face within that stillness is the barrier between us right now and uh, and our best selves. I firmly believe that when we fully surrender to that discomfort, our best selves come forth because there's such a beauty in that. Because if we're avoiding something within ourselves, we're also avoiding the same thing within others. So that's what I'll leave that with. But uh, movements, the other one, like I love intuitive movement. Like it's kind of like intuitive yoga, but I'll just go on my mat for half an hour and wherever I feel tight, I just kind of sit in it, breathe in it, move around in it until I kind of surrender to that, that tension. That's a really big one for me because I'll go to a yoga class and sometimes I feel more fired up afterwards because I'm like moving <laughs> through the flow and making sure I'm doing everything right. And I love those classes. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I do think it's really important for me to be with my own body and understand my tension and what my body needs, what poses I need. But those are two things that really stand out to me because my schedule is all over the place. I'm not much of a like, wake up at 6am, do this. It all depends on where my energy needs to go the next day. But the things that I really love to do, stillness, movement, journaling is another big one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love just getting out any thoughts. I'm very visual. So any visuals that come to me, I love just getting them out, trying to describe them, understanding what it looks like in my life, all those different things. Overhydration, that's a big one. And overhydration, uh, did you say? <laughs> over I just love like, you know, just like chug a bottle of water. Like it just there's <laughs> I I drink so much water. Like even right now, like I'm like, I'm I'm like, oh my god, I'm getting dehydrated as I'm talking. Uh, <laughs> We've but, been talking for like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that's a big one because it's it's self-care and and then mm-hmm. I love to be out in nature. Um I live in Hamilton, so there's a lot of waterfalls, a lot of hikes just a lot of great places that not a lot of people know about. It's so funny because the Toronto people, they're like, where are you from? Like Hamilton. They'll go, oh, I'm like, (laughs) are you kidding me? This place is amazing. I love, I love it out here. 
Cool. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, well, the podcast is called How Do You Feel? The reason I called it How Do You Feel is I really care about dialing in and thinking about not only how your body feels, but how your mind feels, like how you feel with yourself, right? How do certain foods make you feel? Can we base our nutrition on that? How does certain movement make you feel? Can we base how we move on that? So I love that you're talking about intuitive movement because talk about like connecting with your body in such a, a beautiful way. But I think that that's such an important skill to develop. So, and it's very in the philosophy and values of this podcast. That's perfect. <laughs> that's why, that's why I love this. And it, it's so interesting because I love that you ask, how do you feel? Because, you know, usually it's like, how's it going? That what's the, what's the other one? How's everything going? How's it going? How do you feel? is so, it, it depends also how you ask it. I always find too, it's like, you go, how do you feel? Good, great, okay, let's move on. It's like, <laughs> how do you true. feel? I, it's such a powerful question. Yeah, that's so true. So you're talking about journaling. I don't know exactly what format you use for journaling, but I think a lot of the listeners are probably into a similar journaling practice. So I wanna know if they were gonna sit down and do one two minute mind dump free write, what prompt would you give them to do? Such a good question because there's so many. Uh, I forgive, I love, I trust. Past, present, future. So past, I believe the best way to move to the... Okay, I look at it like this. There's the past, present, and future. And in, in terms of self-love, the past needs forgiveness, the present needs love, and the future needs trust. Mm. And that completes the house of self-love, if you will. Every day, there's going to be something where we're going to beat ourselves up, resent ourselves, think negatively about. Every day, there's going to be an opportunity for love in the present moment. And every day, there's going to be something that we're thinking about in the future that maybe we're worrying about and we could, it could be more beneficial to trust ourselves. So I forgive, I love, I trust. I also love, you know, I love the question of like, who am I? Who am I without everything? Who am I without my partner? Who am I without my sport? Who am I without my job, et cetera, et cetera. And just sitting in that and whatever comes up, it's like, I am. Just start writing, I am. And whatever comes up, just let it flow. Cool. I love those. Like, those are awesome. If people really do love journaling, um, I have this thing called the 33, 33 Legacy Challenge, where it's 33 days of 33-minute modules, like the ones I was talking about, mm -hmm. um, where it's all about self-discovery. And everybody who's gone through it literally has been like, Vince, I filled up two journals. Like, what's the deal, you know? But there's, it, that is really powerful. So if they're really interested in it, I would highly recommend they look that up. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. In general, what do you think people could benefit from focusing on more? Them, themselves. Like, I think that's it, is themselves. Because I could say more love, and people could be searching for this love, and then they actually need something else. Mm -hmm. self-reflection, self-inquiry, self-definition, self-discovery, all, all of these things. And again, I would just go back to stillness, number one, and self-love, self-appreciation, number two. Because how that's going to look for you is completely different than how it looks for me. But that's where it all starts. Because if we give it to ourselves, we're directly giving it to those around us. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be the best thing is is not to go outwards. It would be to go inwards. Cool. I love that. That's awesome. I just have a couple final questions for you. First of all, I would love if you'd be willing to share another story with us. You've shared a couple, but another story with us about one of your favorite coaching or mentoring moments. 
when I was in elementary school, I do this exercise. I, well, what I do is my, my keynotes aren't keynotes. I talk for like 25 minutes and then I talk, like I let them talk for like 30 minutes, even if it's like 500 kids, I'll get them to ask questions. And in this specific day, I, I asked them, what did I do? I did something like, oh, I got them to sit in stillness. I got them to appreciate themselves and then appreciate one person in the room. So in that order though, because I believe that's how love flows through us. Mm. It's around us, it goes through us, and it goes to others around us. So these kids were like, I want to say like 9, 10, 11. I said, oh, who wants to share, you know, who you appreciate in this room? And you could see this kid kind of like this in the front row. And I was like, oh, like he's got his hand up and he's kind of like nervous. I'm like, who, who do you want to, to share it with? He's like, oh, you know, Johnny, I'm just making up names. And I was like, all right, where's Johnny? And everyone's like, oh, Johnny's back here, like back here. And everybody's waving. And, and I said, what do you want to share with Johnny? And he's like, you know, it doesn't matter how bad my day is. Every time I see Johnny, I instantly feel better. And he's always there for me. And like, he just, it was, he was getting emotional. And everyone was like, was like cheering him on and all this stuff, whatever. And at the end, I, I, I went up to the kid and I said, wow, that was very brave of you. To, to share that because like you could see that it was something new for him. And I, and I was like, tell me like what was going through your mind? And he was like, honestly, I knew they were going to make fun of me for it, but I thought it was way too important not to share. This is a 10 year old. Wow. In that same one, a girl got up and was like, Mrs. Johnson. I love her because she always makes our class feel so welcoming. Well, like there was just so much love in the room. It was so beautiful because in that moment, I always go like, these kids are waiting for this. These kids are waiting to be given the space to share love with themselves and with others. But if you look at the school system, it, I mean, I do meet a lot of teachers who do facilitate this, which is beautiful. But for the most part, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And if you look at our world, I, I believe it's the same thing in our world. Everyone out there is dying to connect with each other. Dying, literally dying to connect with each other. We rarely take the time to create space to connect with one another. And to see that in a 10-year-old in front of 500 people, like that to me is like the most, that inspires me more than anything. Because when I was that age, there was no way I was doing that. There was no way. You know, I have a lot of moments with pro athletes, but it's like, it's great. But like when I see kids do it, I'm like, you're the best. You know, like I just get so fired up about it. That's amazing. Wow. I love, love, love what you just said there about how we are just dying to connect with each other. And we have more ways than ever to do it right now, but it's so damn artificial. And so the more we can create spaces where we can genuinely connect with each other and cultivate both self-love and connection and love for others, like you're, you're just so right. The couple of times that I've had the opportunity to facilitate spaces like that, I mean they're highlights of my year and, and people are, people are there. They show up. You don't have to pull teeth. Like they show up. And if you create the space for it, like they're ready and you're right, like willing to do it. So that is just such a great point. I love that. And I love what, what you're saying too, is like, it actually is way easier than we think. I'm sorry, not easier. It's far more simple than we think. Like if you have a group of 20 people in front of you, it's literally giving them a prompt of what's one thing you love about yourself. And then it's like, who's one person you love in this room and why? You could create two hours of conversation off of that. Totally. We're waiting for it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, thanks for sharing that with me because it's, it's important. Yeah, for sure. 
I just have one final question for you. It's the question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. What makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning? Possibility. What I mean by that is I have no idea how the conversations are going to go. I have no idea how I'm going to feel at the end of the day, in the middle of the day. But there's something so exciting about that. When we go to a sports game, we don't know the outcome. You know, and if we did know the outcome and we knew exactly how it was going to go, chances are people wouldn't show up. And so it's the, I, I try to inject the same value into my day where I'm like, ooh, let's make, the, let's make this exciting. Like, what if I start off this call with this question and we see what happens? Like, that stuff excites me. I would say that gets me out of bed for sure. Cool. That's awesome. If people want to learn more about you, connect with you on social, follow you, get into some of your services, work with you, how do they go about doing that and where do they find you? The Legacy Coaching on just about every platform. Vince Luciani on Facebook, LinkedIn. And actually, if you text LEGACY in all caps to 555-888, I believe there's a free ebook. Yeah, it's a free ebook you get when you register there. So. Cool. Awesome. And we'll include all the links and all the podcast notes and all of that good stuff. Vince, this has been awesome. Thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing with us. Do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? No, this was awesome. And I I really, really appreciate your questions and your thought into this. You're, You're interweaving into everything I'm sharing. And it just shows that you really care and it shows that you're really intentional about what you do. So thank you. Thank you so much. That's so nice. I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? Remember, we release a new episode every Monday morning. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and CastBox. If you're liking what you're hearing, please rate and review the show. Every review really does go a long way. I appreciate every single one of them so, so much. If you're liking what you're hearing on the show, please share it with a family member or friend that you think could benefit from listening to the things that we talk about on How Do You Feel? All right, guys, that's all I have for you this week. Make sure you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.